The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today's show is coming to you on Monday, a day after the Giants' second straight victory. This one, a 41-35 overtime win over the Washington Redskins on Sunday. This will be my final show before Christmas. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everybody. Hope uh, everybody has safe travels throughout the uh, the holiday season. Just a uh, couple things that we want to do today. A little bit later on, I will be talking to Pat Trena of Locked On Giants and the Giants Maven about uh, some things relating to to Sunday's game. We'll also have Mark Schofield on to talk about the progress of Daniel Jones, a little bit about the career of Eli Manning. But first, you know, before we get into uh, to talking with those guests, I want to talk just a little bit about Sunday. If you read Big Blue View, you know that uh, that I wrote a column Sunday night, um, basically chastising Giants fans who who wished that the Giants had lost on Sunday you know, to maintain their number two position in the draft and get Chase Young. Um, You know, listen, I always, always will side with winning when it comes to things like that. I'm never a fan of of losing games. I think as Pat Shermer said, you let the offseason stuff take care of itself in the offseason. You draft where you draft. Nothing is a sure thing. As much as Chase Young looks like the best player in the draft, he may not turn out to be that. He may turn out to be to be something else. Maybe someone else turns out to be a better player. Maybe something happens to Chase Young in the in the Ohio State bowl game coming up. You know, God forbid that he suffers a devastating injury, but but anything can happen. You know, when you target one player, you put all your eggs in one basket, that kind of uh, that kind of tends to backfire. You know, my feeling is You'll have a top 10 pick, maybe a top five pick. Uh, either way, 
you'll be able to get a tremendous player. You should be able to get someone that should help your franchise for a long time, or you should be able to turn that into a number of picks where you can fill or hopefully fill several spots. So I don't worry about draft position per se. I just, you know, there are, there are more than one, there are many ways to build a roster, many ways to improve a team and, and drafting Chase Young on paper would be a great addition to the New York Giants, but it doesn't mean that the Giants can't do things in this draft and throughout the offseason to become a much better football team. So I don't get all fired up about those kinds of things. What I do get fired up about is watching Daniel Jones play the way that he did on Sunday. When you know you think back to all of the criticism that Dave Gettleman took for drafting him number six, for passing on the pass rusher Josh Allen, all of the people who thought, Oh, Daniel Jones is a third-round draft pick. He's not a, even a first-round pick, much less the number six overall pick. And we'll talk to Mark Schofield about this a little bit later on. But if you're not excited about having this young man as your New York Giants quarterback you know, for the next decade, if you're not excited about what you saw on Sunday, about what you've seen from him throughout the season— then then i i just don't understand i don't understand how you can how you can look at sunday and not say or not feel that sunday was a great positive step in the development of daniel jones and a really solid step forward you know for the future of this franchise to see a quarterback play that way to see him take the ball in overtime and and make the third down conversions and make the big throws and make the game winning throw and and have the confidence to to predict that they were going to go down and score uh which apparently he told teammates that they were going to get the ball and they were going to go down and score i just found that to be a, a tremendous positive development for the giants also it was great to see saquon barkley finally look like the saquon barkley of his rookie season Looked like he was fully healthy after the the week three ankle sprain. I mean, you knew that that guy was still in there. You knew that that guy hadn't gone away. It was just nice to see at least once before this season ended. Was really nice to see the Giants put up those forty one points and show you what the the future of the franchise could look like. You know, on the offensive side of the ball. You know, also on Sunday I wrote a column on Big Blue View regarding the futures of Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer. In that column, I recommended, you know, I said that if it was up to me, and this was again before the Washington game, if it was up to me, Dave Gettleman would stay, Pat Shermer would go. Listen, I think Gettleman is going to stay. I think he deserves to stay. The caveat to all of that being he will be a 69-year-old man. He has had a battle with lymphoma. If there are any questions in his mind about his health, about his ability to continue to put in the hours and the time and the effort that it takes to do the job of an NFL general manager, then perhaps he would consider stepping aside, you know, for health reasons. But in my view, his body of work overall, while not perfect, 
has been good enough that you want that I would say he deserves the opportunity to continue trying to build this team. I still believe he's had two really good drafts. He has put in place a good young core that includes the superstar running back, includes a guy who's shown you as a rookie that he can be the quarterback of the future, includes a lot of talented you know, middle-round draft picks who should help the Giants going forward. So I think that, you know, despite some some wobbles and a couple of misses in free agency, and we can argue about the wisdom of the Leonard Williams trade, which I still think, you know, whether that winds up being a success or a failure is still to be determined based on whether the Giants can sign Williams, what kind of contract they end up having to give him, what kind of production he gives them going forward. So we'll see. I question that move, you know, and obviously a couple of his free agent signings haven't worked out, but I believe he deserves the opportunity to continue. Pat Shermer, I said, as of Sunday morning, I, I would have, if I was the owner, I, I would replace Pat Shermer. I will stick with that because you simply can't allow two or three games at the end of this season to override what we saw, what we learned about Shermer and his coaching staff in the first 29 games. That being said, when you see the kind of progress that has been made the last couple of weeks, when you see the way Daniel Jones played on Sunday, when you see what this offense looks like when it hits on all cylinders, when Daniel Jones plays well, when Saquon plays well, when he, when Jones has Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate at his disposal, when he's well protected by the offensive line, you know, when they open some holes in the running game, Shermer could sit there and go to ownership and say, look, this is what we can do, you know, when when Saquon is healthy, when Daniel Jones is is developing as a quarterback, when the wide receivers are healthy. This is what we are capable of. This is what we are building here. So he can case build and 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 if they wanted to uh, to maintain, not necessarily maintain the status quo. But we've often said that I felt like Giants ownership is looking for reasons not to make a change instead of looking for reasons to to rush to make a change or to have to make a change. And the question that Giants ownership will have to answer is whether what they've seen over the last couple of weeks, you know, what we and and whatever happens on this coming Sunday in the season finale against the Eagles. Will that be enough for them to be convinced that there's progress being made, that there's a path for Pat Shermer to be successful as the Giants head coach? Be an interesting week. We'll see what happens. Uh, we should know by Sunday night, you know, whether Shermer stays or goes. And uh, obviously here on uh, Valentine's Views podcast, we'll, uh, we'll bring you everything that we can you know, if if I don't get a chance to to broadcast immediately, you know, after Sunday's game, Chris Flum and Joe DeLeon always bring you uh, the post game podcast. So we'll have some reaction here. Let me do this right now, folks. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. We'll come back and we will talk first to Pat Trena, and then you will hear an interview with Mark Schofield. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Giants fans, Ed Valentine back here on the Valentine's Views podcast, and I'm joined by Patricia Trena of Locked On Giants and the Giants Maven to uh, talk about the uh, the New York Giants as we come to the end of the 2019 season, Patty. We obviously had the nice victory over the Washington Redskins on Sunday, and, and we know that that the game you know, probably cost the Giants draft position, probably cost the Giants a chance to draft Chase Young. Do you ever feel like winning is a bad thing? Oh, gosh, no, Ed, I don't. And, and you know, look, I played competitive sports as a kid. And I know that, you know, you put a lot of hours into perfecting you know, your your skills and your craft, so to speak. So when people suggest that you just lay down and you tank, that to me, you know, no disrespect to anybody out there, but that to me is a loser mentality. Now, I get it. People are enamored by Chase Young. He's a very, very good player. I think he's going to make somebody an excellent, you know, addition to their roster. But there are other good players out there in the draft. You know, I mean, if the Giants can't get Chase Young and they come away with an offensive tackle, a position that I know I've been screaming for for years now. I mean, is there anything wrong with that? Is that a bad consolation prize, especially if you consider that an offensive tackle is going to be on the field probably for every snap, whereas maybe a pass rusher is going to be on the field, you know, he should be on the field for every snap, but most times it's not always an, an automatic. That's an interesting point, Patty. And the other thing that that I always come back to is, yes, it feels better to win. But Pat Shermer has talked a number of times about how young this team is. We've talked about it, you know, over the over the past couple of years. You want young players to learn how to win. And yes, Sunday was against the Washington Redskins. Yes, maybe you can make the argument that that it's not much of a victory if you have to go to overtime to beat a team that's that bad. But still, you got a tremendous gutty performance from Daniel Jones. You got a great performance from Saquon Barkley. You saw what this offense could look like. You saw this team dig in and win a hard-fought game. I think I I think it's a great thing for the future, for the development of a young team to win a game that way, you know, especially with the guys that are going to have to carry this franchise playing such key roles. I mean, do, do you agree with that? Absolutely. And I wrote last night in my article on uh, the Maven, the Giants Maven, that before you can learn to run, you have to learn to crawl. And actually, let me back up. Before you learn how to run, you have to learn how to walk. And before you can walk, you have to learn how to crawl. This giant team is probably right now, you can best say, is learning how to crawl. 
And they're doing that by starting out winning these games against teams that they absolutely, without question, should be beating. You know, the Miamis, the Washingtons. You know, were there a few games earlier in the season that they should have won? Yes. You know, you can point to Detroit. You can point to Arizona. You can maybe point to the Jets. Maybe those, in, in retrospect, you can say that those were the learn-to-walk type of, of games. And also, you know, because they were earlier in the year, you know, it took took a little longer for, you know, these these giants to to learn how to crawl but you want them to learn how to win you want them to experience winning because it builds confidence it builds progress and i get it it's not the greatest competition but it is a form of competition it's kind of like in practice you know when we watch training camp practices and we see say for example a receiver constantly beating a cornerback you don't think that's not building you know confidence in that receiver and vice versa. You can make the same argument if you flip it. So you have to start somewhere with some sort of competition and build on that. And I think that's what they're trying to do moving forward. Dave Gettleman talked about, you know, guys having to have success you know, so that they believe they can have success. And I think James Betcher has talked about resume building. And I think when I think about winning on Sunday, when I think about beating Miami, those are the kinds of things that you can you can lean on in the future and say, okay, we've been in this situation. We've done this before. I've made plays in this situation. We have a quarterback that can win these games. We have a running back that can make these plays. So, again, I think that's all part of the, you know, as you said, the, you know, learning to crawl, learning to walk, you know, just having in your memory bank that, yes, you've done this. Absolutely. I mean, you got to start someplace. And again, I get it. It's people are going to scoff and they're going to say, well, the, you know, Washington and Miami, please give me a break. But it's competition. You know, it's it, it, it's it's a step up from beating your teammate in a practice. And you take these baby steps, and I get it. Everybody wants results to happen yesterday, but it's a process, especially when you look at the fact that they basically ripped down this entire roster over the last couple of years, and they rebuilt it. And, you know, I've made this comparison before that it's almost like an expansion team where they've kind of mashed together different personalities, a mixture of youth, a mixture of veterans, and they all have to learn to work with one another and play within the scheme and, and work with the coaches. And it takes time. Yes, it does, Patty. Speaking of time, I think the, uh, the question of the day right now is whether Pat Shermer has run out of time, whether the last two weeks – will will help him keep his job you know whether that's already you know a fait accompli that that they'll replace him you know at the end of this season where are you right now on Pat Shermer and on the idea that maybe these last couple of weeks you know could help him build a case to keep his job well you know what Ed I, I would have said you know a couple of weeks ago I would have said he was a dead man walking now Putting aside what I would do, I'm looking at this from trying to look at it from the Giants' perspective and from Shermer's perspective. I would not rule out the fact that, you know, given the progress that they made the last couple of weeks, and again, competition level aside, let's it's still progress. We'll, let's call it for what it is. But I think if somehow the Giants are competitive 
enough to where they can upset the Eagles, the team that has had their number for a number of years. That's going to be a huge boon for, for Shermer's case. Now, would I bring him back as is? No. I would insist that changes be made to the coaching staff. I would start with the defensive side, and I would also tell Shermer, give up the play calling because your in-game management is still very much a problem. But I keep going back to, you know, the concept is Gettleman and, and are Gettleman and Shermer married together? You know, in other words, if you're going to give Gettleman one more year and it looks like he's going to definitely get one more year, do you maybe give Shermer one more year and let the two men continue to work together? Or do you upset that apple cart and maybe, you know, at which point I see the only logical solution being a Ron Rivera whom, you know, who Gettleman has worked with before, but there's something to be said about continuity. And then when you start bringing in, you know, new coaches and whatnot, you, you can upset what you have done. And the question the giants have to ask themselves is, okay, yes, the results the last couple of years haven't been good, but do we want to undo anything we have done? It's interesting, Patty. You know, I, I, I saw the other day that the Detroit lions announced that they are going to keep, General Manager Bob Quinn and and head coach Matt Patricia, despite the fact that right now they have three wins. They're worse than the Giants are. And, I mean, does that, in your mind, in any way, shape, or form, sort of give the Giants cover or give them, you know, or or give them, you know, a reason to, to uh, to keep the status quo at head coach and GM? I don't know that you can compare the two, to be honest with you, Ed, because I think the Lions have a little bit more of a veteran team, if I'm not mistaken. You know, they have uh, Matthew Stafford, who's been, you know, I know he's on IR now, but, you know, Matthew Stafford is is their quarterback. You know, they don't have a rookie like the Giants do. I don't know that that the Lions are as young as the Giants have been. So I don't know that you can necessarily compare apples to apples there. But, you know, I guess you could look at that as a model and say, look, we're only two years into a, to a multi-year rebuild, so let's stick with the status quo. And I think that's the big thing the Giants' ownership is going to have to ask themselves. You know, do they have the patience to go through one more year? I mean, the Giants are still, I think, and I think we can agree on this, they are still several years away from being a Super Bowl contender. Now, next year, if they do keep Shermer and Gettleman, you want to at least see them come up with an 800 uh, I'm sorry a 500 or better record maybe even push for the division title or a wild card even but um, you know you got to take those baby steps and you know the question is is are they headed in the right direction and you know I I think you can make a case that based on the last couple weeks they are and certainly if they they beat the Eagles you can definitely make that case but the question then becomes and I know you pointed this out do you dismiss what was done in the future I mean in the past and I think you know I know you said you can't you can't forget about that but I think that it might be a little bit easier to do that than you're giving everybody credit for because different players different scenarios and whatnot and no the results haven't been good and and whatnot but you know, that's like the, the same argument people have used with Eli Manning. You know, when people were defending Eli Manning and saying, oh, you know, he's a two-time Super Bowl champion. And people were saying, yeah, but that was years ago. That was in the past. You could probably make that same argument with Shermer. I mean, if you really wanted to. 
Well, I guess, you know, last thing to talk about, Patty, is I guess you could make the argument that, you know, Pat can sit in a room and say, hey, look at what I can do when I've got Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard, and look at what I can do, you know, as Daniel Jones develops and when Saquon Barkley is fully healthy. I mean, and you know, versus versus what you know what was going on earlier in the year. I suppose he can make that argument that the last few games are showing, you know, what he can do when he's got you know pieces aside from Evan Ingram, you know, who are working at full strength. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I don't know what the owner what ownership is going to do. I and and I'm just throwing out these scenarios. This isn't necessarily what I would do. I mean, I've never been a fan of, of Shermer's body of work, but look, you know, if the arrow's pointing in the right direction and there's reason to believe that with a couple more pieces, maybe that it can continue that way, then all, then, then look, you just swallow it and you say, just stick with the guy. But, you know, I, I do think that, you know, to use the argument that his past has been, you know, is should be a factor when you're going to turn around and say you can't make that same argument with Eli Manning, for example. You know, I I I don't know that ownership is going to necessarily look in the past and say, well, Pat, you've sucked at Cleveland. You sucked, you know, the first couple of years you've been here. They're going to look at what's ahead and and what has changed and you know what could potentially be. And I think you can honestly say that Shermer has not lost the locker room. The players, you know, win or lose, they played hard for him. This isn't a McAdoo situation where the Giants had no choice but to get rid of McAdoo, who was in over his head. It's a totally different scenario here. And, you know, that that's what's going to make this this interesting to see. So, you know, I'm not saying Shermer's definitely back. I'm not saying he's definitely gone. I think this is a wait and see situation and that ownership. And we've said this before, Ed, we've said that John Mayer and Steve Tisch are probably looking for reasons to keep Shermer. So we'll see what happens. Yes, we will, Patty. Thank you very much for spending some time with me. You have a great holiday. I will see you Sunday at MetLife and probably uh, Monday for, for Baggy Day with as Giants players pack up for the offseason as well. Looking forward to it, and a very happy holidays to all the Big Blue View listeners and readers. All right, bye-bye. All right, Giants fans, I'm joined now by quarterback guru Mark Schofield of Big Blue View and about 75 million other places that Mark writes for. How you doing, Mark, as we approach the holiday? I'm doing well, Ed. Uh, hope your holiday season is shaping up well. Today is day one of winter break with the kids home. And as I'm sitting down in the basement office getting ready to record with you, I heard Alexa shuffle songs by Weird Al Yankovic upstairs from my son. So if at some point you hear, you know, Ride It Nerdy or Eat It or something like that, Blair in the background, that's just my kids trying to troll me. But winter break's off to a good start. <laughs> got 12 more days of this so it's going to be a joy well you know we, we always need some musical entertainment here on the valentine's views podcast mark and hey before i before i ask you anything serious i'm looking at a video of daniel jones and eli manning playing flip cup at a bar oh in, in hoboken yep. last night so i gotta ask you how's your flip cup game 
I'm awful. I am awful <laughs> at flip cup. Uh, flip cup, boat races, chug races, whatever you want to call them. They're really, really not my strong suit, uh, especially with flip cup because I tend to be, and this probably comes across in my writing and other things. I've mentioned this before. I was more of a risk averse person rather than, you know, someone that would take some chances. And so I was always trying to be too precise and I would take forever to try to flip it. And that's just not – you're going to like – and you saw Joe. She was like fired him like flip after flip after flip to try to get it down because it's more of a, a quantity thing, not a quality thing in Flip Cup. But <laughs> those videos between that and Eli throwing napkins to make it rain and Jones just kind of dancing awkwardly up against the wall while the giant, while the Chiefs-Bears game was playing on a screen in front and over his head, that was pretty cool to see, I got to say. That was pretty cool to see. Yeah, that was fun. It was nice to see the Giants kind of ending the season having a little bit of fun. So let's but let's get to uh let's get to what uh, what I had intended to talk to you about Mark and you know, we're basically, you know, we're we're coming to the end of the year. We're we're a couple days before Christmas as we record. We've got just the one um one Giants game left. I know where you were on Daniel Jones, you know, pre-draft. What and and we're coming off a a record-setting and historic game where he threw for 350 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions, something no rookie has ever done. So it's it's easy to to sort of, you know, go over the top in the other direction. But put the whole year together and where are you on Jones and his future, maybe his ceiling versus where you might have been a year ago? You know, I think we sometimes tend to get caught up in the moment, right? We get caught up in the moment of recency bias. We see, you know, what has happened in the most recent game or two and tend to base and formulate our opinions around that. And we sometimes forget to attach the appropriate context to them. And I think it is important, especially when evaluating quarterbacks, and in particular Daniel Jones, to go back and remember where we were, say, this time last year when we were all looking ahead to the Senior Bowl and Jones was going to be one of the quarterbacks down there. And we thought that, especially you know those of us in the sort of draft industrial complex, that he's getting this buzz as an early round, early first round pick, but he's not quite worth it. You look at the offense he ran at Duke. You look at the number of zero and one-step drops, something like 72% of his throws were that kind of design. How is this going to translate really to an NFL offense when – you know, the highest number of zero one to two drops last year was Nick Foles at like 50 percent. So how is this going to really translate? And so I think it's important to look where he is now through that lens. And when you're talking about a quarterback that has completed 62 percent of his passes, has thrown for 23 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, uh, uh, yards per attempt of 6.6. So it's not quite this sort of dink and dunk offense we might have thought he might have been running. You know, yeah, granted, there have been some issues with ball security and fumbles and mistakes and slow reads and sacks. I think he's very much ahead of where I expected him to be. And I think if you're a Giants fan, you have to be reasonably pleased with the progress you've seen from him. And certainly down this stretch, when you look, yes, the Green Bay game was a struggle, you know, back in week 13. But this was a great game to see him coming back from injury. You know, the five touchdowns against a divisional opponent, you know, those games are always tough. And I'm sort of reminded in a sense, Ed, of last year when Sam Darnold went down, 
Josh Allen went down, and both of those quarterbacks, when they came back from that injury, seemed to take a step forward. You know, because you sometimes get a chance when you sit down to have a chance to catch your breath, to do some homework, to do some study, and to get a chance to watch a veteran go through the process. Now that you've lived it, that life of being a starting quarterback and getting ready week to week, you get a chance to sort of take a step back, see how the veteran does it, see, oh, okay, this, these are some tweaks I can make to my routine. And I think we've got a chance to see Daniel Jones do that. And so you put all this together. I think if you're a Giants fan, you have to be pretty pleased with what you're seeing right now. There's a chance for him to sort of have that. He's set up now to have that nice year two jump that we've often seen from younger quarterbacks, whether it's uh, Jared Goff or you know some of the other quarterbacks, Carson Wentz, whoever you want to say, had that sort of year two jump. You might see one for Daniel Jones next year. And so you put this together. I think he's ahead of where people like myself thought he would be. I think the Giants in this talk that maybe they'd entertain the idea of drafting a quarterback, I think you throw that out the window. I think, look, he's proven that he can be this guy. He can be the guy you hoped he would be in the National Football League. Now it's time to sort of build around him. It's time for him to improve and set him up for that year two jump. All right, Mark, we are we are at the beginning for Daniel Jones. We are at the end for Eli Manning of his 16-year run. And, and, and I, I have to admit, I'm sitting here as you've been talking, and, and I'm slightly distracted because I'm sitting here endlessly watching a video of Eli Manning tossing napkins into the air. Right. I just, I just cannot stop watching this thing. But, <laughs> but that aside, you did a very, a very nice appreciation of Eli on Big Blue View a week or so ago. Um, just offer some thoughts, you know, for our listeners on the career of Eli Manning. Um, you know, maybe maybe whether you think he ultimately winds up in the Hall of Fame, and just really, you know, from the quarterback position in general. I mean, how special it is to have the same guy do it for you week in and week out for sixteen years. Yeah, and. Thanks, for Ed, for giving me the chance to sort of write that piece because, you know, obviously it's a deviation from my standard film breakdown fair. And it was nice to sort of put the fan hat on for a second. And, and the way I sort of framed it was, you know, I talked about two New York athletes that, you know, just put the, the fear of God in me. You know, whether it was one of them stride into the plate or another one strided in for the bullpen. And, you know, those were Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera. And... You know, as a fan who, for example, when Aaron Boone went yard off of Wakefield in 03, collapsed to the floor in a crumpled heap, you know, I lived and died with those Red Sox teams. I mean, I don't talk about my Red Sox fandom often, um, but I grew up in a family that had season tickets. My grandfather, you know, when he came back stateside after serving in World War II, one of the first things he did was get a job. And the second that he did was buy Red Sox season tickets. You know, we had third base grandstand, like three sections up, um, front row of that section. You know, my grandfather would often tell the story that the closest he ever came to getting hit by a, uh, a, a batted ball was Ted Williams hit a line drive that hit the railing right in front of him. Um, you name a, a famous game, my parents or somebody in my family was there, whether it was you know, Gabe six and 75 or some of the games during the 86 playoffs when they made that run, 
you know, I was there at one of the ALCS games in 86. I was there with my grandfather in 88 when they were playing the A's. And we, as often happens, you get bumped to the bleachers because they have to give the good seats to the mucky to mucks. So we're in the bleachers and we're doing the steroid chant at Conseco. Like I grew up a Red Sox fan. It was in my blood. And, you know, obviously what happened in 2004 aside, those Red Sox-Yankee games were, you know, those were must-see moments. Regular season games on a Tuesday night, you stop what you're doing and, and you watch them. And, you know, those two guys, Rivera and Jeter, they just, like I said, they, they struck the fear of God in me. You, as I wrote, every time you see Jeter just like inside out on inside fastball and bloop it over the over Dustin Pedroia's head and somehow he turns it into a double, just infuriate me. Or Rivera with that cutter that was absolutely unhittable. It was just infuriating how they couldn't get it done at times against those guys. But at the same time, you respected them because they did it better than anybody. And that's where I got to Eli. And you can say what you want about his regular season record. You can say what you want about 117-117. You can say what you want about, you know, when it comes to the Hall of Fame, maybe he wasn't the best quarterback in the game for a five-game stretch or a five-season stretch. I I don't care. I, I put the analyst hat aside. I put the fan hat on. And for two games, for two nights of my life, he put the fear of God in me. And he delivered two of the game's most memorable moments, the Tyreek the Tyree catch and the Manahan throw that will go down when we do NFL 150 or NFL 200. I won't be there for either of them, but those plays better be part of that. And I think for those reasons alone, Eli Manning belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I know that that's probably not a popular opinion. And I know a lot of people sort of in the quarterback evaluation community that look at film and numbers or whatever will say, you know, Mark, you're wrong about this. But there are times when, you know, sports and football in particular, the games of emotion, you know, and if you deny emotion, you deny part of the game. And for me, it's an emotional appeal. But I believe that Eli Manning belongs in the Hall of Fame because on two nights of his career, he was the best quarterback in the game. And he did it on the biggest stage against the greatest quarterback of all time, against the greatest coach of all time, against the greatest defensive coach of all time. And he was the ultimate David versus Goliath. And so it's for me, I don't think it's an easy question. I mean, I don't think it's a hard question. I think it's an easy one. I think he gets in and my hat is off to him. Uh, just a tremendous, tremendous quarterback, tremendous competitor, tremendous athlete. And similar to Jeter and Mariano, struck the fear of God in me every time I saw him against my Patriots. Mark, you know, I don't often put the uh, the fan hat on any, you know, very often uh, either these days. But you, all of your your Red Sox stories remind me that that I have to tell you this. You'll hate me for this. This is pre two thousand and four. You know, when it was still you know nineteen eighteen for the right. Red Sox. Yeah, my one of my sons was maybe seven or eight years old and we took a bus trip to Fenway for I think a Saturday night game Yankees Red Sox Saturday night game only time I've ever been in Fenway Park now my son didn't know the history of Yankees Red Sox but all he knew is we were sitting in the right field bleachers and all of the Red Sox fans behind us were chanting Yankees suck and he was a seven-year-old Yankees fan. And I turned to him and I said, Zach, turn around, stand up, and yell 1918 at these people. I get it. This was the second inning. He stood up started yelling 1918 at these people, and they all shut up. 
So he didn't know why. I explained it to him. Well, he spent the next seven innings standing on that seat yelling 1918 at these people. And I, I don't think I've ever had so much fun at a baseball game. I gotta say, I, I respect the hell of that because I look the Yankees suck chant. I, I never liked it. I I, it, I never liked it, especially when they'd be playing like you know some random team, and all of a sudden that would chant. I, I was never really a fan of that. So I look, I respect it. I, the night pre two thousand four, like, what's your response to that? To nineteen eighteen, you don't have one. You know, it's the ultimate mic drop fan moment and oh. so i respect the hell out of that and it's a great story and it's still look it's it's still a great rivalry like yeah the only- i don't watch you know as much red sox baseball now as i'd like to given all the other things i've got juggling in my life yeah but when it's red sox yankees time you know i'll stop and watch because th- those are the games that matter they still do my, my wife and i love to vacation in cape cod and I have in my wallet a New York Yankees credit card that I very rarely use. It's my Cape Cod special. Oh, boy. <laughs> I always use it when we go to the Cape. It, I have had, I had a store clerk one time refuse to touch it. Really? Refuse to accept it. I was tr- had called her manager and asked what she should do. <laughs> That's incredible. And, and they very reluctantly processed the card. <laughs> was it one of those where they like put that old, like remember the old like ink swipe machine? I was watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And I saw that little thing where they put like the mimeograph thing and then like rub the numbers. Did they have to do that? They put that in front of you and said, no, you do it. Yeah, I th- actually think you, I think it might have been, but you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a while back and, and it's just one of those one of those things that you remember. It's always like I'm busting out the Yankee card just to see what reaction I get here. <laughs> That's tremendous. I love it. All right, Mark, thank you very much for spending some time with me. You and yours have a great holiday, and we will be talking to you uh, probably in the next week or so. Sounds great, Ed. Happy holidays to you and yours and all the best to the listeners. Thanks, as always, for, for checking out the work, for supporting Ed and everything he's doing and the podcast and so on forth. And just a happy holidays to everybody. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Ed. That's a lot of fun. Always, buddy. A lot of fun trading, trading Yankees Red Sox stories. I got, I, I, I got one, more, one more quick one for you if you have a minute. Yeah, sure. So – this was one of the very first times I ever busted out the Yankee card when I was in Cape Cod. My wife and I have a favorite one of a favorite restaurant on the Cape or one of our two or three favorite restaurants. So we go to this restaurant and we're sitting there and again it was pre-2004. And the waiter is an obvious Red Sox fan and he comes to the table to my wife and I and our couple little couple kids that you know and our kids were little at the time and He's sitting there, and he's complaining. Oh, he says, I just dealt with this table full of Yankees fans. Oh, boy. And he says, do you know what those people just did to me? He said, they gave me a $19.18 tip all in pennies. Oh. All in pennies. All right, $19.18, all in pennies. (laughs) Unbelievable. And he's complaining during the whole meal. Every time he comes back to the table, he's complaining. 
Then he brings us the bill. And I slap the Yankee card down on the table. Oh, my. And he just looked at me like, you son of a bitch. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, I didn't say a word. I just slapped the Yankee card down on the table. (laughs) That's incredible. Oh, man. That was great. You can only imagine the look on his face, man. Oh, man. But but can you imagine that sitting there and getting a $19.18 tip? (laughs) Yeah. That... Unbelievable. That's trolling at the next level, That's, man. That is just absolute next level. <laughs> and how, like, what did they do? Did they, like, go to the cashier and be like, can I get 19, 18 pennies, please? Yeah, I don't like, know. I don't know how they had that. I don't know how they had that. And, I mean, I maybe maybe they just gave them the 18 cents in pennies. Maybe. I don't remember. Because sure, that's hard to put together. But that's, that's impressive. That's got to, but still, you know. Yeah. But. But my God, that is trolling at the next level to give the Certainly guy a tip is. of that of that exact amount. I mean, you know? again, you got to respect it, right? Oh, it's awesome! It's just it's it's it's, it's it's awesome. You got to respect it. You know, there's some there's there's some serious thought and planning put into that. You yeah. know, but yeah, that's not but just it's like, like throwing the 1918 on the card so it looks like it. No, yeah. that's going but the extra mile. But it's like the whole time he's telling this story, I'm looking at my wife, going, "You know what's coming." Yeah. You know yeah. what's coming. And I slapped the card down on the table, and he was just – his jaw fell on the floor. Oh, <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Hey, you All have right, a good buddy. holiday. We'll talk to you. You too, Ed. Talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Yep, bye. See you. All right, Giants fans, thank you very much for listening. That's our show for today. As I said at the top, this will be my final show uh, before Christmas. So – Everybody have a good holiday, travel safely, enjoy family, enjoy friends, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye now.